Hello, spacers. Welcome to Starlight, a space opera. I'm Isaac, your host and GM for the adventures ahead. This show, whether you're watching or listening, is a labor of love, and one that we want to make the best for you. So if you can, take a moment to freely subscribe or share however is most comfortable for you. Thanks. Now let's plot a course to Starlight. Breathe in and breathe out, using your neural link to effectuate change to others or to even manipulate the nanobots within oneself is not for the wandering mind. Breathe in, breathe out. What do you see? It's all black, except for, no, there's a halo of gray, but it's getting brighter. There are many, many knots to the outer ring. It's alive, moving. That is the cipher of space coding that controls all that the Neuralink does. It's hard to believe, but in a way, the Neuralinks are a living entity themselves. And if one is smart enough, they can figure out how to manipulate it. But if one is wise enough, then they can figure out how to work with it. I... I don't understand. I didn't at first either. Let me tell you about the knots. There are eight knots that represent the following. Conjuration. Necromancy, but a word of caution, one that can never truly bring back the dead, and if they have a Neuralink older than the Sekaro model, it won't work. Necromancy is simply to automate one's personality to their Neuralink, but it's no true life. Even the reborn think otherwise. Then there's evocation. Followed by abjuration. Transmutation. And divination. But please remember, numbers and patterns can only predict so much. We have enchantment. And the last knot you are most familiar with, illusion. Of these, some can physically manifest via nanobots and others via a manipulation of another person's neural link. Will it, will it hurt when I make nanobots leave my bloodstream? Of course it will, asteroid brain. Does it hurt when you are cut? It is like being cut a hundred times over, but it pales in comparison to the glories that we manipulators of the world can do. But if you are afraid, let's focus on illusion that you have done before. And 
I am ready for lunch. Do you see out that window? I want you to go out and make that little girl's day. Okay. Hi, little girl. Do you want to see a magic trick? Oh no, don't be afraid. You see these flowers? They're for you. And if you like, I can even make them dance. Really? Really. Okay. Breathe in. One, two, three. Exhale. Concentrate. are alive. Oh, I see, dear. <laughs> well done, young man. And outside of the arcane technomancy, it is always a good way to make some coin. Now let's go find a sandwich. I think the carnival master just hired a grilled cheese steak sandwich stand somewhere here. Hey guys, welcome to Starlight and this Q&A session. I wanted to jump in and let you all know that I am currently away up in the mountains as a professional athlete. I go up to the mountains to train in the altitude. So unfortunately, I don't have my normal podcast set up. So you're going to notice, and it's my sincerest apologies, that there's going to be a lot less quality coming from uh, my audio, um, but everyone else's is top-notch, and we really hope that you enjoy what we have to offer today. There's a little bit of insight into the game, but some stuff for new players and new GMs. So without further ado, let's jump on over into this episode of Starlight Q&A. All right, welcome to Starlight, this Q&A section. Uh, we're glad to have you guys and kind of delve into the world building, the character building, and kind of hashing out what had happened. Um, with us, we have both uh, McKenna and Atlas. Um, so go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, starting with you, Courtney. Hello, I'm Courtney, um, and I play McKenna Ali, your favorite elephant on two legs. Well, your favorite character as well, but, you know. Nathan, take okay. it away. Alright, uh, I'm Nathan, I play Atlas in the campaign right now. And, uh... Yeah, no, sorry, I was gonna bring something up, but... It's not important. We'll, we'll, we'll do the roasting a little bit more on as as we as we go um and we hope that you guys enjoyed that kind of first section a little bit shorter than normal but a good like overview of technomancy and the quote-unquote magic that's within the space operatic world of starlight um so per usual we're gonna try and bounce around with some questions that kind of in, in q a between us and 
maybe a little banter that kind of gives you a little bit more insight to us and into everything we got going on with this project. So I am going to kick it off and we can, let's see. Uh, so I'll kick the question off first to Courtney and then Courtney, you can pick whoever you want to do a question to next. Um, so for you, this is, we're going to start this off hot. All right. I'm ready. For McKenna, what was it like seeing Atlas take a knee or being put Thank down? It was joyous. It was wonderful. It was every dream that McKenna has ever had. Okay. Well, honestly, it was just, it was nice to see his pride be checked a little bit. Um, he's someone who, uh, claims to be able to take it all and do it all and I do acknowledge that it was I think three against one four against one so he was outnumbered but he was still taken down and that was nice to see as much as I love Atlas it was I just gave him a chance what I just gave him a chance I took a knee oh right yeah you just took a little knee um breather no, he died, and then he was brought back to life, for the record. Um, just to clear that up. It was great to answer your question in one word. Awesome. Period. Well, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of, like, um, tension in this, and I, I gotta ask, because you're, like, all but gloating about it. Is this, is it a pet peeve, is Atlas a pet peeve for you as Courtney, or is it a pet peeve for McKenna? Like, the bravado. Pride in general is a pet peeve for both Courtney and McKenna. Um, And so Alice (laughs) comes off as very, very, very prideful. Um, So I feel like there's this desire to check him a little bit. Um, Yeah. And so as I love Nathan and Nathan is not prideful at all, but Alice definitely is. And so I like to, to keep that in check a little bit. I, I will say yeah. one of my favorite moments, and I really hope that this is a fan favorite moment, when I was going through and doing some of the editing, was this part where as Atlas is getting shot down by what uh, Gorn's blaster fire, Nathan goes, wait, wait, wait. It doesn't go down like this. <laughs> and he goes, I turn... <laughs> And I'm distracted. And Courtney goes, and this should bother me. Why? Because it distracted me. And she's like, oh. Like, dude, she won't let you just bleed out on the ground. For the record, I still don't know how I distracted you. Like, was it me just coming in the room that distracted you? Or was it me, like, asking what was going on that distracted you? What distracted you? All right. So... I'm thinking of this as like an audience member, right? They're all going to be on my side with this. All right. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, you think you you see the scenario, right? Alice is fighting these guys by himself, going full berserk and everything, and then something decides to blow through a stone wall, right? Because this is all happening in seconds, right? And like, so something decides to blow into a stone wall. Make a lot of noise, fling r- big stones and stuff at you. So he looks, right? And when he takes that look, 
Because obviously, think about it. And and this is scenario. Obviously, for us, it took a while. But in the scenario, this this was all like seconds, right? And then he gets shot down because he wasn't paying it. He got he had to look at the new threat coming out of a big old stone wall. Okay. So he had to take his knee and take a breather. Let's let's um let's ask the audience what they would do in this scenario. You hear your friend getting their butt kicked on the other side of a wall. Do you just sit there and listen? Or do you do what you can to get through? I feel like the right thing is to like do what you can to get through. I would be a terrible, awful like friend. <laughs> I don't want him to die, but I was kind of glad he did die. But, you know, like, <laughs> he didn't actually die. He just took a knee. But it was, it was, yeah, nice. Really quite nice. Anyways. Um, okay, my turn to ask a question so that <laughs> Alice doesn't hate me later. Okay, we're talking about Alice's pride. And... Okay. So actually, one of my questions was like, "What is the history that got him to be so prideful?" Um, oh, of like why he's like or like so confident, conf- like confident. Or? Yeah, yeah. Is it because like overly like, confident in a sense? Yeah, because yeah, I, I I get the like confidence in the connection with the Acers, like that I can register, but I don't get the confidence in like the I can face anyone and do anything and. I can go three on one against one person who has like three blasters and yeah, I'm going to be fine. Like, where does that confidence come from? All right. So it's not going to, it's not really a huge spoiler. This is going to be a little, I'm, you obviously have to give a little crumbs and everything occasionally. Okay. Um, so as you know, when he's taken off like the jacket and everything, mm-hmm. there's uh, that big like tattoo that covers his whole back. Mm-hmm. So, what some people know, which is come out of the story, is that some people know is that it belongs to like the Berserker like family, which is a part of the Acers. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of their idealism, as far as and then like him growing the, like overconfident, is that it's almost like they're obviously it's not. All. Sorry, I heard some reverse noises in the back of my house. Um, but basically, it's like there's. With them, I, I believe it's like an ideology kind of thing of like they're they're like the front line. So they almost how would you see it? Actually, I'd compare it almost to. I, mean, I don't want to compare it completely to the Marines because I mean it's similar though in a sense of like or just like the military in general. It's like a sense of you are trained and like around a bunch of people that are just like you in a sense, right? And um, mm-hmm. so, like, Atlas with his, like, family and stuff, obviously, there's a lot of backstory and everything. But it, with his time with them and, like, becoming a berserker, he kind of just, it kind of just grew on, like, it's like, almost like a persona. You kind of, like, grow, it grows on you, in a sense. And then you build that confidence, though, through, like, his, as, like, okay, flashing back all the way to, like, the first few episodes, right? We mm-hmm. remember that the pilot, my old pilot, mm-hmm. that story. Um, but my pilot did mention that I was one of the few that have gone like on many mm-hmm. missions and back. Um, so Alice himself is just, he is accomplished with the berserkers in general or with the acers. So I think just, it's a mix between, sorry, I'm like rambling, but it's a mix between basically him building that confidence just because of his 
like his just merit in a sense like he's gone on a lot of these missions mm-hmm. he normally goes alone um has come back alive has completed them and then also though it does come with a sense of almost because of his background which that part i won't dig into too much but because of some of the, his experiences he's it's a mix between his pride and like confidence and also just i mean this is gonna be kind of a big um but also just kind of not caring like he just like if like his job is if he has a job or has something that's kind of just his purpose like mm-hmm. he's he's sent to do something so he does it mm-hmm. um but yeah he doesn't really have so it's a, that kind of, that's why i think that's why you get like taking the overconfidence or prideful like kind of attitude it's more that he is very confident but also he just has a lack of i think a lack of almost care for himself like he kind of just completes what he needs to do so it's like a mix of like culture that like brought him up to be that and just like success over and over again that just reiterates that does that sound yeah in a sense yeah 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 basically because like yeah if you're gonna meet if you if you ever do meet another like acer like a berserker with the acers they they're not i'm not saying they're gonna be the same guy they're not definitely not gonna be the same person everyone's Mm -hmm. different but i'm pretty sure they will probably be definitely more less of the like sly like sneaky or soft-spoken mm-hmm. kind of people mm-hmm. um, that makes sense. If, if they are you probably should run yeah <laughs> yeah yeah if they get well, into that mode then they're probably just growling or doing grunts or something yeah and, cool that <laughs> makes sense run. thanks for explaining well, and, that and, and i just want to add in that you say Atlas doesn't care about much, and I completely, yeah, you see that. I completely agree. I will add in the caveat: there is one thing that he cares about, and it is he cares a whole lot when McKenna tries to say that she's his girlfriend. Oh, okay, that was such a sweet. It could have been so funny. <laughs> okay, you were like, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Just to clarify, no. So Atlas, and I think that I've I've tried to portray that. Um, in the game too is that Alice doesn't what I what I meant kind of is like Alice the reason he's so confident or so like doing like kind of going off what Courtney said is going like 1v3 or whatever else um, is that he doesn't care too much about himself like his like his well-being mm-hmm. but as we've seen or uh, hopefully the audience has noticed is that he does like obviously not openly but he does care for like some of the people that either, well, this part's gonna sound bad, but people that have worth, or also just people that he sees as being somebody that he spent time with, because like even people that he hasn't, because if they're innocent or whatnot, because as like Pillow Man mm-hmm. or whatever, yeah, mm-hmm. Alice a hundred percent could have just grabbed him and thrown him in, like, uh-huh. it, like I'd probably would you honestly you probably if I obviously rolled high and everything, but if I didn't, I like, probably would have had a higher chance because it's flesh, like it's a human mm-hmm. um but he also in the beginning too like he threw the pillow obviously he took the pillow but also he told hello man to like basically throughout <laughs> the, <laughs> throughout the whole thing to like stay near him yeah and like stay behind him um so yeah he just to clarify yeah he doesn't care much about himself mm-hmm. of like his well-being of like he just needs to complete the assignment or task um mm-hmm. 
But yeah, he definitely has some sort of care. But mm-hmm. he also has that mentality of obviously being a part of a, um, well, a family or a organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes slowly sense. bit, slowly bit by bit, we're seeing a little more and more to Atlas. Yes. which has been kind of fun. So yeah, I feel like the difference between McKenna and Atlas is McKenna's like, "Here I am, take me as I am," and Atlas is like behind. 20,000 locks and it's like you're never going to get to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's like, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. All right, your turn, uh, Nathan. Uh, all right. Let me th- um do I want it for my first question to be towards Isaac or me? Um okay, I'll actually go towards Courtney or McKenna. Okay. Okay, so obviously everyone knows I'm bringing this back. I know it's it's like it's beating a dead horse at this point. Uh, hopefully no one's offended by that. I just grew up with the kind of saying. Uh, I did think about that before I said it. Um, is that basically um, with McKenna, does she actually believe that some of her actions were not related or similar? Uh, not related, but not similar to being a terrorist? Oh, 100%. McKenna... Um doesn't identify her actions as part of a terrorist group. Um, she identifies it, uh, what she did, her her mission was always to move the, um, the, what is it called? The path? Yeah, the path yeah. forward. Um, I should know that. Um, so her... Her heart and soul has always been like, what can I do to move the path forward? Um, and, and Naguvu's heart and soul is where things got like sideways and twisted and, and like kind of went the wrong direction. But I think everything McKenna did was always with the intent of moving the path forward. And bringing it, like bringing locked and on society back to the real world, um, where, whereas like her partner in crime had other intentions, and those intentions seem to have trumped hers. And there's this moment where her daughter sacrificed, and she realizes, like, oh, oh, this has gone far too far. Um, and I like, I don't know if I can be a part of this. And now like what she's gone to do is to find the Sunmaker to help kind of provide clarity, if you will. Like, why did Mm -hmm. you leave and what are you doing? And, and kind of, um, yeah, hoping to learn from him. Um, and and they were friends. They were really close friends, but she also looked up to him quite a bit. Were they just friends? Yes. Yes. Um, that is a oh, Nathan. Um, yeah, they were just friends. Um, yeah, and so that's, <laughs> that's what they where all say. that's what they all say. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> we can call well, it Trump here's up. the thing. So Naguvu is. This is like kind of giving a spoiler. So anyone who listened to the Q and A, you get this spoiler. Um, Naguvu, like, kind of had this. Um, what is it called when you like want to spread only your genes? Um, Narcissism? Narcissist? Kind of. I mean, yeah, but that, I, mean, I, I know there's actually a word for there it. There is yeah. a word for it. I don't remember. 
can we just we can just call it the Genghis Khan effect? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah. like he wanted to be like the reproducer for every Loxodon. So like every child Loxodon was an offspring of Oops, him. Yeah. Um and most women Loxodons like in that area had like had sex with him to have their children. Um, oh, he's a Chad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so okay. that is that is her daughter. That's a, that's the case for her daughter as well. Um, oh, I know. And then he sacrificed his own daughter. Right? Awful. Is he, is he a good-looking Loxodon? No. Well, yes. He's big and powerful and like large and and has oh, golden tusks. That's oh. attractive too. <laughs> that is attractive to Loxodons. I mean, it, the it more gold your tusks and the, the Isaac and the big. Let's take it further. The bigger the trunk, um, the better. And so oh, he, makes sense. yeah, a lot of um, his like. The reason a lot of Loxodons listen to him and look up to him is because of his physical attributes. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So to answer your question, yes or no, McKenna does not associate a lot of her direct task with um, a terrorist organization. Um, although she does recognize that a lot of what the organization she's a part of um, was doing could be identified as like a terrorist act. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, yeah. that makes sense. Okay. So in a way, she was almost kind of like a little brainwashed, right? And yeah. slowly woke up from a, a bad mm-hmm. dream and just kind of like, oh shit, what was I a part of? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. That's, okay. Do so I really, to- I mean, we call her Terrence, but her story is really, she's a tragedy story. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Although Atlas would never see that. Um, anyways. Atlas? Well, you, yeah. What? <laughs> no. I was going to say, well, you haven't, to be fair, you know, you haven't had this like moment with Atlas. So you, you, you don't know, you know? You yeah. Don't know. I haven't danced with him yet. Not happening. But it's coming. <laughs> Alice, Alice doesn't dance. It is coming. <laughs> I imagine Atlas being very bad at dancing. Very awkward. Honestly, yeah. He's just a big dude. Like, he's, he's he's not very elegant. Yeah, he'd be like a box dancing. Probably. Do I get to ask Isaac a question now? It's you. It's whoever you want okay. to ask. You know those nursery rhyme books that we found the maps in? Yes. Those were, like, really tainted versions of those nursery rhymes, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Why did you do that? Where did that come from? Um, like, and then you like really, um, I, I don't remember them exactly, but you really took a new spin on those. Um, do those have like overarching kind of um, effects in the world? Or like, are they based on history um, in the world? Uh, no, nope. no, arching, no overarching effects. Yeah. No, no thematic foreshadowing there. Maybe, maybe someone will listen to this and be like, "Oh, well, twenty episodes. <laughs> actually, if you go back and like that, she had something to do with episode whatever. <laughs> no, that'd be an accident. But I'll take credit for it if it happens. Um, 
I don't think they were that twisted. The third one was maybe a little twisted, but the rest were fine. Um, and and why? That's a better question. The why is because, and I, I fortunately I can't actually spoil this, but I will say that Gorn is a very very complicated being, mm-hmm. um, and so one of you is in a position to find out more about that eventually and we'll you know we'll find out more on this in february as uh you guys can the our, our listeners can see which one of you will be finding out more about gorn's personality but he he's strange um and probably a little off his rocker whether that's his fault or, or not um and so there's definitely like an, a childish element to his personality. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just kind of like one of those things that he has. But also it's um, something you wouldn't think to hide a secret in. So there's kind of that element, too, is it's like it's a children's books. Like yeah. you, you could just easily have gone over it. And, uh, and it was good that Clive... Was had was like, oh hey McKenna, you should like open that up and hack the neural link. Yeah, that was actually a good idea because you guys almost—I don't think you almost didn't do that. Uh, and then you wouldn't have any information on where to go. So I don't yeah. think Which I, I would have thought to uh, like. I don't even think I knew that I could hack a neural link of a book. Well, so, it wasn't the neural link. You were hacking the computer element. Yeah, 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 spine. yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know that was an option. Yeah. That's a very cool, like, small just world-building thing I wouldn't have thought of. Well, it's also space opera, where nothing, where the science really doesn't make sense. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's about all I have for you. Um, but this is a question for both of you. Mm. And we can start with Nathan, and then it'll go to Courtney. Uh, so this question is really to help GMs, um, who are like maybe newer to the game or planning their own game or even having the scenario that I'm going to lay out come up. But what do you guys as players think of player death? Um, and I asked that question because you did take a knee Atlas and I want to know in your opinion, well, he didn't die. He was knocked out. Um, (laughs) I got his back here. I want to know in your guys' opinion as players, what makes a good death and what doesn't make a good death from a player's perspective? Um, okay, what makes... I'll go first on what makes a bad death. Um, mm-hmm. For me, with... Because I know we've spoken about it a little bit before. Uh, is basically that death is a very necessary thing, I feel like, in D&D games. Um or at least the fear of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because. I mean. That's not really where I'm going with a bad death. But basically is that with a bad death. I feel like is when DMs are like head hunting. Like. Um, some DMs feel like they have to like almost force a death. Sometimes on parties. Um, because of whatever reasons. Um, and that's when I find. Or like they feel like it'd be. Some some may, people may think it's actually more fun um, in that sense because it's they're trying to like 
make death like a very um real thing in a sense of like trying to like push it to happen um and i feel like it's just bad when it's bad when the dm almost uh, how do i explain it it's bad when the dm like forces it to happen like has no opportunities like had no warnings i mean other than slight warnings like you're fighting a boss or something but like there's like no warnings really or like there's no chance like um there's been a lot of ones i'm not going to name them um but there's a lot been a lot of other campaigns i've listened to here and there obviously like the real popular ones but also kind of like um some niche ones and everything mm-hmm. and also just hearing stories about people's campaigns um i like to listen to this other guy on youtube i can't think of his name right now i'd actually say it but he does a lot of stuff on like stories about campaigns he's been in right um people in the People might, listeners might know who I'm talking about, but he does a lot of like stories and things on people, campaigns he's been in, like interesting stories or interesting experiences or bad experiences. And that was one of the things was that there, when DMs are trying to force it to happen and don't give, like, don't give like the player an opportunity to make their death saves or like they're just dying repeatedly. Um, that's another thing. That's another bad way to do it is that they're just dying repeatedly but i mean if that i mean that could be the player's fault to be honest too a lot of times it is player doesn't think about they people have to metagame in a sense like if you if you know your class is squishy don't go up in the front lines like atlas would um (laughs) but um yeah it's i keep rambling basically to sum it up a bad death in my opinion is when a dm basically forces it to happen um or like, to be honest too, I'll be honest, when traps, depending on the, what type of trap, right? If it's like, for example, I'll bring it back to Critical Roles thing, right? They mm-hmm. did the death of Vex. Yeah, it was, well, it was supposed to be for Vex. Um, and then obviously Vax made a deal. But that one, it was good in a sense because it was a very crucial moment, right? They're looking for these vests. Vest, I can't say that word. Vestis. Vestiges. The vestiges? Yeah, I can't say yeah. that word. Um, they're looking for these things, knowing that they're like these very powerful artifacts. And the, I think, I think what it was was that the party was getting too comfortable, and they didn't even check, like didn't inspect it, didn't do anything. They just pushed it open and <laughs> like the coffin mm-hmm. or the thing and everything. So like that, people might think is oh well they didn't give him a chance or anything, but it's like eh. There's a lot of subliminal messages here and there of like, okay, like, this is what you're looking for. This is very dangerous, this and that. But what I'm thinking of with traps and stuff is like, uh, say like that trap we were in that one episode, right? If it just like insta-killed. Um, remember when uh, we were going th- initially going through the temple? I mean, it wasn't really a trap. Oh, I mean, the guy, yes. the guy yeah. said it, uh, he said it off. But um, was more like the sense of like, you, if like, obviously, I can see someone being downed because of damage or anything, but not mm-hmm. insta die. Like, especially with like so soon in the campaign, but also just the trap wasn't like some vestige that had all mm-hmm. overwhelming power. Like, so and and, and the that, setup that, like, of that trap was a little different too. The setup of the trap was exactly. um, uh, an infrared line, and McKenna took the lead, and she pretty much took up the whole entire chamber as you're walking through yeah which made it hard for you guys to see it mm-hmm. yeah and then like obviously um i can't remember did one of us get downed 
in the fight, in the fight, not from the trap. In the fight, yeah, not from the trap, yeah. But it's like even if we did get down, like I would understand that. But if you decided, okay, um, you're dead, like the trap kills you, no way ever, like you're just dead. I would have mm -hmm. been, I would have kind of been just like, wait, what? Like this type of trap. What? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so it's like that kind of stuff. I'll just I'll try to make it quick. Basically, yeah. It's basically when a, D, a DM forces it, and it's there's no chance of living. Like there's really no chance. There was no messages. There's no warnings. It was just, oh, they do this and you're dead. Like unless you're super far in a campaign, you're versing like Vecna. Yeah, I understand, mm -hmm. but. Nah, not yeah. It's basically when DMs are headhunting. It's it's a bad death when they're intentionally trying to kill their players, not just letting right. the story play out and potentially die. Um, but I'll bounce in front of that. I keep rambling on the same thing. So a good death, in my opinion, though, a good death is when I feel like well, it's basically the opposite. Yeah, it's when a DM like the story is going, the players are. Going through the story, um, the DM is obviously giving him that story, feeding him that story and everything, and giving him options. And it just, it, it almost feels like a good death is when it almost feels natural. Like it, 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 um, basically like it can be, there's this big fight going on and yeah, sadly it's like someone's getting hit pretty hard or whatever and the players are, but the players are playing their characters, right? And mm -hmm. sadly, due to the roles and things like that, maybe someone dies. But it was more natural. There's a chance of survival. Their the person was their their character. If you were like looking from their eyes of them, were trying to survive in this fight, um, protecting their comrades or or just getting what they want. But like in a sense, but it it happens almost in a natural sense. It's not forced. Um, it plays in the story to where it feels like. Like you're almost reading like reading a novel. I think that's why a lot of people do like campaigns too. Is like it has that same sense of you're getting a story and you're getting a bunch of different personalities in different situations. Um, where yeah, it just feels like okay, this person died because of this, this, and this, or like these events led up to it, kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, a good death to me is like where it just feels natural and it. Um, it's definitely a sucky thing for the character sometimes um but at the same time it's a good i think it builds a lot for the story like if they just died naturally through like the course of events mm -hmm. and what um, about you also Bernie? oh sorry go ahead oh my last super fast thing was just there are players that want to want their characters just to die if they just don't like their character i mean that happens in some campaigns mm -hmm. um and if a dm can do that and this is another challenge for DMs. Though. The DM can do that without making it obvious, and also kind of—I mean, that say—I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Yeah, when they force it, if a DM forces it for the player, um, I don't see that as really a bad death, as long as it's, it plays in the story well. As long as it's not like something that doesn't fit with the story. And I and I found that you know. The way to do that well is the difference between, like you said, forcing into a bad death and doing a, a death where like the player wants to say goodbye to that character is it's a collaborative thing. Like 
you give the player some leeway into how they want it to be and like maybe even ask the player like oh how like would you want to potentially introduce a plot hook with this as we bring in a new character um and it's it's more of like that kind of collaborative storytelling between you and that player where you and that player work together on the side and in a way that player then becomes a gm for that moment as they bring that story then back to the others you know for the delight of others um yeah but yeah exactly but that was my last thing sorry um so when i think of like a good death and a bad death i think of something like i think of like what progresses the story um kind of long term because i'm with dmd i'm always in it for the long haul so for example um i had a character her name was sigra shilan um and i think this was one of the best deaths that i've yet to seen and she was a character who was maybe too compassionate and too willing to like go and help others. Um, so she went into a house. They were kind of scoping it out. They were looking around. She went into this room where there was this goblin, um, Alfiris, who was like basically on the ground tied up. And her, like the way she would respond to that is just go in there and, and like make sure he's okay. She didn't investigate. She didn't look around. Um, she walked in and then there's people on the balcony above shooting arrows at her as she's walking in um and she went down um and then alfiris the the goblin um was like, he, like as she's dying she's like he's like friend and like acidy has a friend um and she dies confirming that um and then it was supernatural um this was not planned ahead of time but then i got to play alfiris um because I didn't really have a character in mind. I wasn't planning on Seagra dying. Um, and I got to play off here. So there's this incredible storyline there that progresses the story forward as far as like, A, why is this goblin tied up? B, why does he think someone who's being shot by 10 arrows is a friend? Um, C, why is he only saying friend? Um, and there's so many different things to like figure out from there. So I think a death that progresses the story forward is really, really important. Um, and the death of a character that is loved, um, I think is important too. So, um, like if, if a, you start playing a character like, um, really briefly and the character dies, that's obviously not going to be as impactful as if you've played a character for years and that character dies in a really, epic way um so i think that's important just for dms and players too like don't kill your character right away um play him out um and then a bad death i was i would say it's a one that happens too quickly i think it just doesn't help the storyline um and b one that doesn't doesn't cause something else to happen um so i love the deaths that like they die and then something else big happens that progresses the storyline so i think when a character dies it's the opportunity to progress the story further um and do something with that death even if it's unexpected so i think on the dm side your other characters are obviously invested in that character and they're gonna be sad that he or she died um and so to use that to progress your story forward it could be really intriguing um yeah yeah okay so very, very story focused. And um, mm-hmm. for 
Europeans that are listening who are kind of like getting into this, uh, I might be putting words into your mouth, Courtney. So fix, like, tell me if I am. Yeah. But story doesn't necessarily have to mean the story that the GM is putting out there. Your every Not character has like a background story as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you could be progressing their own personal develop, like characters change in their story or their development. Um, and then I have one last thing just, just to protect myself because going back to Nathan and saying no headhunting, <laughs> I was not headhunting Seagret. I know. And she made it sound like oh. she walked into a room and was ambushed by a trap. She what <laughs> she knew very well what the consequences were. Like like she knew there was a trap being laid. She they heard the men like preparing like they 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 succeeded in a lot of perception checks and were able to pretty much know that there was like a crossbow ambush waiting and she still went tried to run in and save the goblin but Uh, it was so in her character too like it made so much sense and i did i guess i wasn't thinking like is there gonna be enough arrows to kill her um but they they were um but i loved playing alfiris i wouldn't have changed that for the world hmm. okay is it my turn to ask a question yeah okay Nathan, how yep. did you feel about being put down? Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask it in that way too, because <laughs> um, you were put down, passed out, yeah, died, um, needed backup. I think alone, scared, <laughs> vulnerable. Uh-uh. <laughs> I honestly, when the first fight started happening, when uh, before you got there with the one little wacky robot, and then because I don't know, yeah, you weren't there for some parts of it. So, but right before that, I kind of actually saw myself potentially like I was trying to like calculate in my head, like because I had the painkillers or anything else. I was like, I'm not gonna get through this, because <laughs> like, um, yeah. But right before you were involved, I had to fight this other robot. Mm-hmm. Um. And that was. Uh, it wasn't really hard, but it was definitely trying to. I was getting some bad rolls. Mm-hmm. Um. And then you didn't see my beautiful Hercules moment either. Um, when this like, what would you describe it as, Isaac? Like uh. It was like this like uh well, if you know what a bullet is. In, in the mm-hmm. monster manual, it was a bullet, uh, which oh. is like these kind of like they're they have the nickname of being land sharks, and uh-huh. they they burrow through the ground. And um, Atlas got covered with this white powder, which actually w- was a uh, a lure for the the bullets that live. Oh no! Um, on Thala colony, and so it was drawn right to him, and it came right out of the ground at him. Oh no! Yeah. So, yeah, when it came out of the ground, right? So I was thinking to myself, because in that moment, I think I, I already had raged. Yeah, I was still raging. So I still had um, some of my traits that you saw, obviously, coming in. Mm-hmm. And then Alice got a pretty good role, I believe, at the time. And so when it came at me, right, and you, all Alice sees is turns and sees, like, the ground breaking and everything. And then it was honestly one of my favorite moments because it was sick. But it was... a. Uh, like they, it comes out of the ground and uh big old jaw and everything and alice like grabs like its upper like upper like part of its mouth you know and mm-hmm. then the lower it does a 
completely like Hercules thing and just like grabs it and like basically stops it from like eating him and just muscles it in a sense. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it was a really cool moment, especially in my head too, because I was imagining it. But uh, you should yeah, draw was... that. Well, and I don't like, know if you once I get I don't better. Know if you yeah. heard it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if you heard it, but the it was like that was one of my favorite moments too, and it turned out so beautiful uh, on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, nice. Because yeah, it just like and then like so then afterwards, obviously like, um kind of sh- like muscles it to the side and like bites off it's like one of its eyes and um yeah it was and then okay so then when you got involved it was basically after that all, all happened right atlas is already kind of feeling it <laughs> um and then uh correct me on gorn and his two or three or four people <laughs> robots come in um well, yeah, so then that happened, and then... Yeah, yeah, and then they... Yeah, so basically, he's confronted with them, and then that's where, obviously, you start getting involved. But, yeah, he was... Mm-hmm. He's already... I kind of honestly was thinking as, like, a player. I was like, all right, like, I might be knocked unconscious pretty soon. <laughs> if I get some unlucky rolls, I was like, all right, what would Al- Alice is just going to keep fighting. Like, he, he's not going to run, especially because yeah. he's berserk or he's raging. Yeah. Um... And then, uh, yeah, I'd say my feelings of being knocked out, I kind of, I think in that moment, I kind of was just expecting it. Um, I was going to say I would be very lucky if I wasn't, like, knocked out. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if it didn't happen. Because I, I started realizing, I was like, oh, shit, I'm actually going to be, I'm actually going to get unconscious, <laughs> like, knocked unconscious pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with how many there were, I was like... Oh, I'm definitely going to get knocked unconscious. <laughs> like, I was you, like, there is no way. I will say you lasted for a long time. Like, longer oh, yeah. than I expected. So <laughs> I, I will give you the one compliment and say that I'm impressed by that. Mm-hmm. And you decapitated one, so. Yeah. Yep, that is true. Uh, I Yeah, Alice, I was just going to keep fighting and fighting. And then, yeah, so my feelings about it, I was... I kind of expected it just because, like I said, there was a lot of stuff leading up to it. And then um, at the same time, though, I wasn't too bothered by it because I knew, obviously, once you went through the wall, too, I was kind of mm-hmm. like, all right, if he gets knocked unconscious. And then they kind of, I don't know, I kind of, I didn't just expect Isaac to obviously have the enemies leave. But um, at the same time, though, too, I was like, okay, there's, there's backup. Like, there's a chance. I was like, all right. I, I, I knew in my head, I was like, I'm not going to die. Like, I'm not going to actually, like, die here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a chance of it because if I failed my... That's that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. If I failed my death saving throws, yeah. I mean, that technically was on me because I, like, I confronted every single enemy that I found. Like, I, I wasn't careful when pursuing the crabs <laughs> and the monsters. I failed on a really bad roll with hacking something, and mm-hmm. which is not my forte. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, he definitely... Like, I definitely saw it, but I was like, okay... Like, Alice mm-hmm. isn't going to die here. But, and then also knowing that you guys were coming, I was like, okay, five can heal me. It's fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, I would admit, it was stressful in a sense because I was like, I'll, to be 100% honest, like I said, I didn't expect to die, but I knew there was a chance. So I was already slightly planning a character in my head. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? I, 
Like I, I literally was because like you, you have to like if, mm-hmm. no, no. I love Atlas. Like I didn't, I hundred percent didn't want him to die. But I was like, okay, if he dies here, though, I definitely need something to like, like because I didn't want to just yeah. I like I, and kind of like you were talking about. I actually like in my mind, I was like, okay, what can build off of Atlas's like story kind of sense? I was mm-hmm. like, what would make sense? And I already had the idea, which mm-hmm. I'm not going to say because it's a big spoiler on the whole like story of atlas but i already had like exactly what the character was going to be no oh, well. who, who all right better question who it was going to be and they're actually in the story or Ooh. in the world somewhere yeah interesting was, i think i have i think i might have yeah. an idea but uh i will say you do you mentioned that you were surprised that they ran and it was the circ- the circumstances that led to them running was so I, I ruled a morale check for them because they're low level, um, even though they outnumber yeah. you. Here, here's the thing so, what they saw so Gorn obviously set up that robot to ambush you. And the, the core thing about that robot ambushing you originally was it was never going to kill you, that wasn't the goal of it. Um, yeah. although it got a lot of really good hits and you got a lot of really bad yeah, I, I was so unlucky, yeah. Mm-hmm. The main, the main thing it was supposed to do was destroy what the majority of the things that were in the room, and it was supposed to like get that lure, that dust on you, to draw, you know, one of the natural predators. Mm-hmm. So Gorn knew you killed that robot. You chased Gorn off originally from the ambush, uh, like advanced on him down the hallway as you were fi- as he was firing at you, and this is like he has no way of knowing that you know the trap that was set for anybody who didn't know about it like he you know he wouldn't have known that it affected mckenna not you originally mm-hmm. and then this monster thing comes out they watch you <laughs> in its mouth and you're wrestling with it all the way down the passageway you throw it to the side basically after ripping out its eye and they blow the they shoot and uh at the at the temple entrance uh, where there's like some like essentially like dynamite right Mm-hmm. or like C4 and it blows up and covers the entrance to cut off your like uh, backup so at least then they have like okay he's weakened he's taking pain pills uh, but you have to imagine like what they see they see you in like beast <laughs> mode where you, like you literally have grown nails fangs you have this like, spine <laughs> tail coming out of you and you should be dead but you're not because of pain pills so the image of that is like horrendous you one hit cut off someone's head after <laughs> yeah. getting shot. And like, that's why I like, after I rolled the morale check, they failed. And I, I was like, that's when the guy's like, how are you still standing? And <laughs> then McKenna blows a hole through the wall and the backups there, like the, yeah. that they were completely rattled. It, it, it like made more sense. That makes for them sense. To, like mm-hmm. run. Yeah, that definitely and, makes sense. Um, uh, Gorn using his uh, influence to um, basically like if he can't take care of you in the temple then knowing that you'll go back into the city and using his influence uh, within the police um, to frame you for something that maybe you guys didn't do. So That is crazy to think about. Also it makes me honestly when you I talked uh, explained the whole situation out that did actually uh Make it sound even better in my head. Just like the whole situation, because it was sick. I also understanding why they like ran off. Yeah, I'd run off too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. He yeah. framed us. 
Huh? What? I didn't even realize it was him who framed us. Oh, <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, why? Why are you traveling are you... with him? Why am I what? Oh, spoilers, oh. Gordy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert: Alice joins the but... dark side. No, oh. no, no. Alice is always part of the dark side. Come on now. Okay, next. Also, perfect. He... Also, wait. Crap, now I'm thinking in my head. Uh, Sorry. I don't want to give out any spoiler either, though, now that I'm thinking about it, though. Nah, I'll just leave it to myself then. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of, like, yeah, the whole situation. You can keep it for the next session. Next yeah. Q&A. Alice is... I love Alice. That's why I'm really, really happy to dive, but... I will admit, he definitely knows that he is mortal. Like he, <laughs> good. He, well, kind of. It's good for him. <laughs> All right, Ethan, you're up for the next question. All righty. Um, this will be more for Isaac. Oh, um, and this is also for the fact that, like, with DMs and everything, this is also to help them in a sense. I think too is that obviously. Oh wait, that that is a spoiler. I think. I mean, Courtney already did it. Um, yeah. Actually, no. No, well, not, I won't give out a spoiler. Basically, when, like, you know how we did, like, my, my episode, and then, like, um, like, it was McKenna and Clive um, in the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, for, like, DMs, too, and just also players, in a sense, um, recommendations, too, with that. Because, obviously, you definitely want the stories to somewhat probably line up again. Mm-hmm. What is your, like, what is your advice on trying to like play two separate, the same campaign but two separate parties like splitting? Like and also is that how difficult is that? Um, and also just yeah, advice for other people, players and DMs, just in general. That's a good. Yeah, question. I mean that's kind of that is a good question, and it's kind of a tough one. Part like part of it is going to be on your comfort level as a GM. It's obviously way easier to do in in um. I think it's almost easier to do when like your players are sitting together uh, where you can kind of go back and forth like every five minutes. Cause then like they at least know where the direction of the story is going. But when you have two separate sessions, you have players who like might take it somewhere completely different, not knowing where, where the story is going. So um, that's, that can add a whole new layer depending on like uh, just how it's happening, whether it's happening at the table and it's just splitting with everyone there, or if it's, uh, you, or you're getting like an actual totally separate session. Um, and my first thing is it doesn't work with every player. Um, and obviously not every GM is going to feel comfortable with it. But the first thing is you have to be able to read your, the room on your players. Um, like you guys are really uh, super mature, super easy to do, do this with um, and very focused. But there are players who just like want to have a good time um, in terms of like, just everything's kind of funny and like they want to break the world and like that's like hurting cats and and it can be kind of hard um and so you need to like vet your players and make sure they're kind of like uh that's something they want to do uh like and can handle but i will say like what i found even if you have players like that um which thankfully i haven't really actually had many players like that 
if you can get get like some sort of investment on their side, whether like like what Courtney was talking about before, like for her, she has a huge investment just furthering the story. But it, if there's some sort of like personal element in there, that's always like that usually centers the deal. So like mm-hmm. I know for like when we were running the game for you, Nathan, like man, getting to use like your level three rage and being able to like uh, actually have your character tra- like do a full transformation, like. I knew that was going to be key to like your investment in that. And um, so like making sure that there was like real challenges that fit Atlas, because like it wouldn't have been that fun of a game. I feel like for you, if you were just like one shot KO'd things and like, didn't like there wasn't like the challenge, like Mm -hmm. I know that you enjoy that. And so like identifying what your players enjoy and what, what they're looking for. Um, Now, as for the timing of bringing it back together, I I think you just can't force it. You have to you have to know your story and you have to know your world and your characters pretty loosely um, because you you can't well you could you could railroad your players back together and that's not that hard to do. But there's going to be more gratification if your players can kind of like spend their time doing it without feeling forced out of the situation and. Depending on what happens in game, that could be hours, days, weeks. Um, and so being prepared to potentially run uh, multiple games separately. Um, and there's like a couple ways to, to go about that. Uh, if it's looks if it's looking like it's really just gonna be like a matter of days or time, then just yeah, there's no, like, it's super fine to run a couple games that are separate. And your players are going to love it because they're going to have a totally separate story. It's going to be really cool when the players come back together because they'll spend that first game back together. Half the time, they'll just spend it talking about what happened and, and planning and stuff like that. And so they almost create their own plot hooks. Um, and, and information gets lost or mixed up and they really have to parse it out, which is a game in itself. Um if you're going to have, let's say, one character or a few characters split off and it's going to be like months in game, which could actually translate to months out of game. Yeah, you're play- you don't want to play separately from your like have your players split up that long. That's not fun. Mm-hmm. So what my go to thing to do is to um, relegate part of that, like figure out where the what the main body of the party is doing or what the most important party thing that is happening like the main storyline because usually players that branch off like that they're usually following like a personal quest or something like kind of like on its own that's away from the main branch and i would say stick with the main branch every once in a while maybe pull those characters that are on the other side quest away and actually run a game using those characters but kind of like put those characters aside almost like as if like you're playing a video game and you sent your followers off to do something like you can like te- do text roles, like, hey, all right, enough time's passed. You're like doing yada yada. Like, can you give me some roles for this to get information on that? And it almost makes it like a smaller mini game. And in the meantime, in the interim, while you're playing with the main group, have those players, have those players who were originally playing the characters that went off, have them make drop new characters that are there for the short, short term of however long. Um, and I know Courtney is playing one of our home games and she's 
doing exactly this mm-hmm. with her goblin character, Alphiris. He's gone learning to be the best bard ever. Uh, and she's playing a different character in the interim. Um, and, and then when you, in both situations, when you bring them back together, it's going to depend on how much time has elapsed and stuff like that. But um, it's, you can, you can pretty easily kind of converge it back together uh, because at the end of the day, you know, as a GM, like what routes can be put in front of your players to bring them back together or in that sort of thing. And you can kind of guide them by, like by like slowly taking your plot elements and putting them closer to closer together. And so like, while I don't have a concrete example of this, here's, here's what I will say is like, let's say you're playing a classic D and D game, right? And you're trying to reach, uh, this, you're trying to reach the, the black castle and you have path a, B or C. Your players don't have to like, and they pick your players pick pick. Uh, they pick path B, and maybe originally you didn't have the castle on path B, but they don't know that. You can so what I'm saying is you can shuffle your plot elements around. You can shuffle uh, points of interest that would slowly start to intercede and weave your characters back together. Um, mm-hmm. And so when done well, it's really exciting and it, and you can weave tales in and out and, uh, it makes the player connection to their character way stronger. Um, mm-hmm. and it makes the world feel more alive when you can do that. Um, but you know, it, it does take some practice and, and I actually would suggest before you do that, try having a game where you let your players split up in game, but like, maybe yeah. not getting too far away from each other. Like it's all, the easiest thing is always when they start going shopping. Mm-hmm. Right. So you start going like five minutes with this group and then you say, all right, after you leave them on a cliffhanger after five minutes or the, where they need to parcel out a decision or whatever, go to the next group for five minutes. And then as you're doing that slowly start to put little plot elements in between the two, because they're close enough that they're going to come back together on their own when they like kind of find something more interesting, like that plot element and you can start to start playing with these plot elements as you get better um, when they're really close together and how you can like use that to kind of tie them in. And as you get better at that, you can take a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. Um, so yeah. that, I, I hope that kind of answers your question a little bit. Oh, no, but, no, no, it definitely yeah. did. Um, I will say adding for players is make it easier on your DM. Don't, I feel like some players will... Like you were saying, sometimes it's like hurting cats. I to make it a little easier and maybe honestly more fun for the party too and yourself in the whole like scheme of it. Um, try not to force yourself to be staying out of the party. Um, like I know, at least from like kind of like I said, I listen to YouTube. There's some times where people like try to separate from, like continuously try to separate themselves. Um. If you know what I mean, they'll like continuously try mm-hmm. to like be separate from the party. And it's like, I get it. Like you want to do your story and everything, but at the same time, I don't know. It's like a coming together. It's like a story in a sense. It's like a whole book or a whole world. Like don't like just for players, just try to not continuously try to separate yourself. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah, sometimes but- it'll, sometimes it'll just happen. Like make sure it's mm-hmm. natural. Just don't 
force it to happen. Right. I always think right. it's fun when players have their own individual quest that they really want to pursue and they have the whole group like buy into it and they all go together. Um, yeah. Because then you're like still pursuing your thing, but the whole group's joining you. I'm in the middle of that mm-hmm. with our home game right now is getting people to buy into my quest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you guys are in a way kind of in that right now. Yeah. I mean, once you find the Sunmaker, it's going to be really, you all have different points of interest involving the Sunmaker. Like mm-hmm. Clive now has an interest in the Sunmaker's affiliation uh, with the Shrine Cross. Mm-hmm. Atlas has it needing to bring back the Sunmaker alive or dead. And you have it in like, as a friend and also trying to find out what happened to him. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting watching you guys kind of parse that out. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but we are at about an hour. Yeah. Uh, and I, so I think that this might be a good place to probably cap this Q and a, um, and so, yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah, that sounds great. This yeah. was fun. Makes sense. Yeah. I learned a lot. All right. So I'm happy. Eh. We tried. I mean, we learned a lot about your pride. Yeah. Or okay. your vulnerability. I will say, if people don't you- like Atlas right now, like if people are like Courtney, right, in the audience, if people are like Courtney, who are just seeing his pride, nat- like the prideful side of his nature, right? Like an mm-hmm. Eskimo-ish kind of thing. But like, basically... I will I will say, obviously I'm not going to promise this because I can't tell what the audience wants or feels, but I will say, I think people will start, the people that are on Courtney's side with this, people will start to like actually see Atlas as like someone they actually like, or like, like as a character. We shall see. Yep. We shall see, mm-hmm. indeed. And with that, bring the Q&A to an end, and uh, we hope that the start of your new year is... Great. It's probably mediocre, but great. And we will see you again in February, where we pick up back on the action. All right. Until see next you later. Time. Bye. All right. See you guys. Do I just stop it? Thank you for listening to this episode of Starlight. If you enjoyed this, please like, share, subscribe. For early releases, exclusive RPG content, and other bonus material, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com starlightadventures. And to reach us for questions to be aired, email us at thestarlightadventures at gmail.com. See you next Tuesday, spacers.